to introduce uh, or reintroduce our favorite guests of the show, Dylan LeClaire and Sam Rule, over, on, over from our Deep Dive team, as well as CK Snarks. Thank you very much for joining us, guys. Excited to be here. Q, get on Spaces. I'm on the Spaces now. All right, y'all. We, uh, we're going to do this once again. Uh, we are simulcasting the Deep Dive. What is happening with Bitcoin's price? I titled it, Will Bitcoin Break 40K? It seems as though we're battling with that resistance. Uh, and Dylan and Sam have been working furiously up until this very moment to get the monthly report done every single month. The Deep Dive produces a monthly report. And every year we do an annual report too, which they published last month too. So uh, this month, the January report came out. I feel like y'all Y'all have to do like a book report every single year with it or every single month with this thing. Uh, you want to talk about the monthly report a little bit before we get into some of the details? Yeah, uh, we put a lot of work into this one, specifically Sam, the last couple of weeks, but really the last couple of days. Uh, we, we recently got uh, kind of our own chart layouts and everything and have been actually formatting the data ourselves. And so uh, this monthly report looks fantastic, uh, all custom charts with macro data, on-chain analytics, Bitcoin derivatives, all custom formatted kind of uh, the way we want it. And so we put a lot of hard work into it uh, and, you know, excited to, to push it out in basically like an hour or so. But I guess listeners get a sneak peek. Sam, you want to jump into this? What is it like to, to get a, a monthly report done every single month? Like how much work goes into that, Sam? Yeah, can you hear me okay? Good. Uh, yeah, this one was a little bit more intense. Uh, you know, we're trying to do a lot of different product improvements to the deep dive. Um, just as a caveat, you know, we're, we're going to be sending out this monthly report today to deep dive paid subscribers going to, you know, have it open to everyone in a week. But yeah, I mean, we've been always looking at a monthly report. It takes a lot of time, takes, you know, an extra, you know, week of work for us to put it together, go through all the things that we find important and interesting and kind of cycle through all that signal and noise. Um, but yeah, this time in particular, we're, we're trying to make everything custom in-house, uh, you know, a little bit more unique, a little bit better product and value. So more intense this time around, definitely less sleep and more caffeine, but, you know, we're, we're excited to release it and kind of get feedback on it. And it, it's a pretty iterative process for us to see, you know, what people like and what people don't, and then uh, kind of go back and, and make another one next month. So we're stoked about it. I guess before we get into the programming, Dylan and Sam, you know, we were talking about the monthly report. Uh, do y'all want to introduce any new viewers to like the general concept of the deep dive and what you two work on every single day? Yeah, sure. I can, I can just rip it off real quick. I mean, uh, deep dive is a Bitcoin centric or Bitcoin focused product, but really what we're trying to do is like, along with our kind of, uh, I think someone's speakers on, I'm hearing a little bit of an echo. Sorry to, not sure about that. Um, okay. Yeah. Like we, we try to combine our, basically our Bitcoin thesis that it's the best money ever uh, with more of a intermediate and sometimes shorter, but often like longer term uh, analysis to how it's actually unfolding. Um, how are these, these monetization bubbles? Why are they happening? How are they happening? And, and looking at everything like this with this transparent monetary network and a probabilistic lens. Uh, that's what we do. And, and with this next report, uh, I think the visuals are also going to be really, really appealing. People just want to know what's going on. Um, and even though we are, honestly, we often encourage for most everybody, just steady average accumulation and hodling uh, through volatility. We like to outline, you know, why that volatility is happening and analyze it and crunch the numbers and put in some nice visuals. So we combine stuff across on-chain derivatives, macro. Uh, we like to really keep keep readers informed. And so we do that on a daily basis, uh, about 20, 20 a month. So, uh, you know, we put in the work. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, I guess y'all want to jump into some of the agenda items. Uh, I, I definitely w would love to break in and talk about price. You know, obviously price dumped in the last few weeks and uh, this week has been rallying, but uh, it does seem as though, you know, from an untrained eye that 4K is, or 40K is acting a little bit like resistance. I'm kind of curious what you two think. I'm curious what, what Q thinks, because I know that he spends a lot of time with the charts. So uh, let's go to Sam uh, and then uh, maybe Dylan and then Q can give their thoughts on the price action. Yeah, yeah, sure. Definitely. Uh, kind of when I'm watching price action and what's going on over the last few weeks, last few months, uh, you know, to me, it uh, seems tough to not look at it with equity correlations and what's going on uh, kind of in the risk on asset space. So 
I think now what you're seeing is, you know, the, the SPX, the S&P 500 index is, you know, bouncing up 10% now from the lows uh, from kind of where it bottomed and it's getting right near that kind of 100-day moving average, uh, seems a bit overbought on the latest move. Um, at the same time, you're kind of seeing the, the dollar index, the DXY dollar as a uh, relative to a basket of other currencies, you know, falling at the same time and looks oversold. So I think you've seen a, a bit of a rally from Bitcoin at 33,000, uh, but a bit of rally in, you know, ARK, uh, SBX, NASDAQ, however you look at it, they're all correlated in the same way. So um, I'm still pretty cautious in terms of like the upside price in the short term without seeing, you know, kind of much more strength on the, on the equity side of things. Um, and so, and just today too, you're seeing ARC down another 5%. So I think in times like this, um, there's a divergence when I think about it. It's like so many bullish on chain pictures, fundamentals that we can talk about, but you know, Bitcoin doesn't trade next to its fundamentals a lot of times. And a lot of times based on liquidity, which is not a full bullish picture for me in, in my mind right now. Yeah, well said, Sam. I think, you know, what we look at and what we laid out, I think, really well in our uh, monthly report that we're putting out uh, here, you know, the demand side has been extremely strong basically since the fall. Um, and on-chain has gotten a little bit of like hate because <laughs> they're saying, you know, price, everything looks strong, just like saying stuff like supply squeeze, but the price dumped. What happened? And I got, you know, more so like the last, the last 672 hours, the last four, four weeks, 28 days. Uh, what's the correlation between NASDAQ and Bitcoin? It's 93%, 0.93. So like it's tick for tick, Bitcoin and the NASDAQ for the last month. And so, you know, and the derivatives have gone from being like pretty damn bullish at the all-time highs, futures ETF launch. There's going to be a ton of capital flowing in, but it's through a derivatives product, the futures ETF at, at the CME, uh, to now basically all the macro funds that bought in 2020 and 2021 are selling marginal sellers, grayscale blows out to a 30% discount to net asset value. It's just more marginal selling than marginal buying. And that's it. You know, it's just like, it's a liquidity game and Bitcoin's as a monetary asset is being treated exactly like, you know, the ARCs, the Teslas, the, you know, it's just a liquidity wave and a lot of, to certain capital allocators. There's obviously people in the audience and myself included that are accumulators regardless because it's the best money ever. But you know, over the shorter to medium term, like if the Fed takes the liquid liquidity spigot away, that's the game, right? And so, you know, the market's going to react to that. And as a Bitcoin accumulator, as a stacker hodler, that's your, you know, that's your long-term opportunity. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, I won't even try to pretend like I know half as much as these two. Um, I read everything that they put out and sort of base what I see off of that. The thing that I've been paying most attention to, as Dylan just mentioned, is there's such a high correlation between the NASDAQ and Bitcoin price. And the last time that we saw something very similar to this was around March of 2020, when we saw a full collapse of the stock market. At the same time, we also saw Bitcoin price drastically drop below 5K for a brief moment. And then slowly we saw that as the Fed was pumping money into the stock market and the stock market started to correct slowly, but surely Bitcoin started its rise up. And it wasn't until about, I want to say nine months later, once the Fed really started pumping money into the markets, did Bitcoin really start to break into new highs at that moment, breaking out of sort of the 10 to 12 range, reaching out above 20K where we've been comfortably above now for over a year. I am more concerned about where our floor is right now. Um, I have brought up in the past and will continue to treat 28,000 as sort of my floor safety net. This is a price level we've tested eight different times over the last two years or last year and change. And so long as we continue to maintain above 28,000, that will be a floor price. Thesis change the moment we break below that and, and have a, a long period below that. But um, that is sort of where I'm paying the most attention to as far as how much lower we can go. Um, but I will sort of lay it back to the two of you and sort of ask, what uh, what are you seeing as far as these leverage games, Dylan? You post repeatedly on Twitter, please, for the love of God, you crazy animals, do not do this. Do not go over leverage. I mean, we had a nice little David Bailey post talking about leveraging your Bitcoin buys. What is it? What are you guys seeing out of the leverage space uh, that's really driving this price down? I know, Sam, you touched on that and Dylan as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in, in general, leverage isn't a good or bad thing. It just is. Uh, and it's a natural progression of Bitcoin as, you know, a monetary asset. It's going to become financialized. And, and it always was. Ultimately, the, the thing that's different between Bitcoin and then, you know, any sort of like any sort of monetary asset or collateral type in the world today is that it's UTXO set 21 million. You can't fudge that. That's the arbiter. Like that's the arbiter of truth, you know? So uh, you, like <laughs> counterparties, like margin calls, all that stuff. It's a free market. And, and a lot of times like, you know, not your keys, not your coins. There's, there's been times when exchanges run away, but disregarding that, if we're just talking about exchange rate counterparty risk, Right, like embrace the volatility because there are no uh, there are no bailouts of you know there is no lender of last resort like there is uh, in the fiat economy and so unwinds are going to be vicious at times if everybody continues to margin their Bitcoin to get more dollars and oftentimes to buy more Bitcoin then uh, especially with like a disproportionate amount of your stack like just full disclosure like over the last couple of weeks I've margined I. I uh, collateralized in Bitcoin and I've been buying a little bit more every single hour as a result. But like, it's not like on a leverage perspective, it's not probably more than 1.05 X my, my, you know, like if you're talking about just uh, mark to market leverage. And so, you know, the people that are, that are making trades with conviction with their entire stack that Bitcoin won't go below 50,000 at all time highs. Well, they probably lost their coins. Um, and so that's fine. It's just don't make those mistakes. Um, and so right now, leverage like uh, futures market, it's it's the most neutral it's been in, in the perpetual swap market. It's the most bearish it's been since summer of 2020, uh, tw- summer of 2021. I'm sorry, uh, but we're not. You know, we're I wouldn't say it's ultimate bottom at the moment, right? Like we're looking at just look at the look at the Nasdaq, look at the S and P, and you don't even have to look at the Bitcoin chart probably for the next couple months here, as you know, hodlers accumulate under the surface. And ultimately set that kind of spring for another rally when that liquidity spigot turns the other way, because we know it, it will at some point. Yeah, I would uh, just add too, Q, you were talking about just, you know, price um, kind of levels. We're going to get a little bearish here talk about the downside potentials because, you know, it can go in any way. Uh, there's no crystal ball for us here, but uh, interesting levels from on chain outside of the 28,000 piece uh, is the realized price cost basis on the market uh, right around 24,000 right now. Another key level is the, you know, we break the market um, with some help from Glassnode down to long-term holders and short-term holders. The long-term holders really haven't been tested in a lot of these drawdowns uh, over the last year or so. Um, Their realized price is in that 17 to 18 thousand dollar range um and if you're looking for like downside potential uh all the way max like max pain on that side uh in cycles we've seen that tested where the price tests that long-term holder realized price or gets close to it so there's still potential for that we've seen a lot more maybe capitulation type behavior in short-term holders but apart from that you know just from the price getting to those levels those might be some interesting to watch from like a downside perspective um, you know, on the flip side, almost all of the on-chain metrics that we track in terms of uh, long-term accumulation and what we're looking for is, is really positive, but that's more of a multi-year look in one year accumulating Bitcoin. And one of those tweeted out today is just a little refresher on the Meyer multiple price over 200-day moving average. Been a pretty useful, simple tool uh, for all types of investors that use that 200-day moving average to look at when price over the long-term history is really attractive on a, on a on an accumulation basis and when you look at that metric today it's only been it's getting to a point as low below this like 15th percentile that we kind of do in some of our percentile analysis around different metrics um, but it's only been that low in the in the covid crash pretty much uh, kind of a full bottom in 2019 uh, so it's pretty rare moments for, for something like that to happen so um, yeah, a lot of interesting action with the price, but really relates back to just where the macro market is going to go over the next few months. Sam, I'm really glad that you brought up the mayor multiple. Um, for me, that's my go-to metric, not because it's better than other metrics, but because it's super, super simple. And really the whole point of the mayor multiple is you take the current price and you divide it by the 200-day moving average price or the average price over the last 200 days, and it gives you a multiple. Uh, So whenever it's below one, so AKA the price is lower than the 200 day moving average, 
that's generally a buy sign, especially, you know, statistically speaking. And they break this down statistically across, you know, the different multiples and like the chances of the price or the time spent of the price higher than that price point. And it makes it really, really clean and obvious when are buying opportunities and when you know, Bitcoin is relatively expensive. So, I mean, if you only stack based on the mayor multiple, you're doing pretty well. That's not a bad investing or saving strategy. Personally, I just buy all the time, but uh, I really do like to use the mayor multiple as a way to explain to people. If someone's like, hey, should I buy Bitcoin right now? I usually am like, well, the mayor multiple is like two. So, you know, I think you should get skin in the game, but, you know, just know that it is a little on the expensive side right now. And, uh, you know, there, you, you want to be buying when, when it's lower. Um, that's kind of how I frame it. I do, I know Q wants to say something. I do want to, you know, give a shout out to the 500, 600 people in Twitter spaces. Uh, I pinned at the top the YouTube link. We are doing this live on YouTube and we're giving away sats on YouTube. I know uh, a pleb just won some sats on YouTube. And uh, I believe we're going to be showing some charts over on YouTube. So, um, if you want to see our faces, if you want uh, to see this uh, with charts and potentially win sats via the Carrot app, uh, go over to YouTube and click on that link in the nest. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to pass it back to you, Q. Uh, I also very quickly want to shout out, I did not ignore the Twitch fam. Shout out to those who are watching on our Twitch stream as well. You guys, I, I did not mean to ignore you. I appreciate the call out. CK definitely mistook me taking notes on everything Sam say, said as me having the next question. But I do, I do kind of want to talk a little bit about, Sam, thank you for helping me lay out some areas of support for me as well as our viewers. Talk to us a little bit about upside resistance that you guys are paying attention to. We talk a little bit about some of the different indicators you guys like to use. I don't know if you want to dive into the charts this second, or if you want to just sort of talk about what are price levels above us, some of those indicators you use that are sort of resist price resistance levels. Yeah, I, I guess I can start. Um, I think, you know, just from like a technical standpoint, looking at any chart of, of an asset is telling in terms of like resistance and support, you know, that price is the ultimate kind of truth. And so, you know, just like the technical levels on the chart, but, but I guess more than that, I think uh, just thinking about how relatively like overheated derivatives are, uh, how, you know, uh, like there's always one short for every long in a futures contract, but it's, what you have to look at is collateral type. So our, our traders margin longing the Bitcoin with Bitcoin is collateral at all time highs after going parabolic, you know, we don't want to see that. So collateral values right now, it's the, it's the lowest it's been in a year. Uh, and maybe all time, our data doesn't go back that far, but the, it's 39% of the futures market is collateralizing with Bitcoin or crypto. The rest of it is stable coins, which is really, really healthy for bulls, right? Because there's like, there's no convexity when during downturns where your collateral gets wrecked and your position gets wrecked. Um, and then if we're just looking at like the futures basis, right? Uh, that three months out, there's that uh, a futures contract and relative to the spot market, what's the basis there? And you can annualize it. So annualized right now, it's at 6%. In the March or the April 2021 at 64,000, it was at uh, 48%. It, it top ticked and it hit 20% at the, the September, November all-time high. So really, really low there. Good to see. Uh, in terms of perpetual futures funding, funding has been negative on average for last week. So it means that if you want to, enter a derivative contract on Bybit, Binance, BitMEX, whatever, like whatever the exchange, FTX, uh, you, depending on the contract, you can get paid to just, you get paid a percentage of your notional position size to be long Bitcoin. And right now it's, it's not really, it's like you get paid 3% annualized. It's a really, really small number, but shorts are paying longs to sit in positions right now. So in terms of derivative market positioning, it's honestly pretty, it's, it's, it looks really healthy. So like, in terms of actual resistance, I'm not quite sure, but usually the resistance is the leverage is, is there. Traders are levering up and really get derivatives like is getting offsides to the upside and the spot inflows just aren't there. Right now, what we've seen is that the club is like the, the, the supply is completely loaded and that club of demand since November just hasn't really been there. It has actually been net marginal sellers and derivatives have kind of unwound and it's, it's, it's made that a little bit more like vicious. But, you know, if the, we don't see the VIX blow out, if legacy doesn't, act, you know, melt down, then then ultimately, like, Bitcoin's pretty primed to, to trade well. Um, I, I mean, probably some more consolidation, but 
really all of the sellers that would be like, you know, major support have gotten out if they wanted to over the past couple of months. So when that demand, I, 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 I keep repeating myself on this topic, but I think it's really important to grasp is that like the supply side is look, looks fantastic. Um, and really it's just marginal sellers for the past couple of months, but the same crowd that's panic selling now and trying to run out of the burning theater is going to come back and they're going to come back a lot bigger size. And they're all going to try to do it relatively at the same time, which is when there's a fed pivot, not if there's a fed pivot, but when, and so like <laughs> resistance in that scenario doesn't even really matter all that much because, you know, there's just that much demand. And I think we might have to wait out for that scenario to occur, but it, but it will. Uh, and you know, you don't want to be short at that. My fellow clubs, the Bitcoin conference is back. Bitcoin 2022, April 6th through the 9th is the ultimate pilgrimage for the Bitcoin ecosystem. The Bitcoin conference is the biggest event in all of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. We're leveling up and making this bigger and better than ever. I'm talking straight to the moon with the four day long festival in the heart of Miami at the Miami Beach Convention Center. This has something for everyone. Whether you're a high-powered Bitcoin entrepreneur, a core developer, or a Bitcoin newbie, Bitcoin 2022 is the ultimate place for you to be with your people and celebrate and learn about the Bitcoin culture. So make sure to go to b.tc forward slash conference to lock in your official tickets and use promo code Satoshi for 10% off. Want more off? Pay in Bitcoin and you'll receive $100 off general admission and $1,000 off whale pass. Those are stackable. So go to b.tc forward slash conference and attend the best conference in Bitcoin history. I want to I present a question to you both. Sorry, I know, Sam, you're, you're about to go on a roll, but you brought up something really interesting about the fact that essentially shorts are paying longs to take a long position in Bitcoin. When, when was this ever... Has this ever happened before? Can you give us examples? And if this has never happened, does this potentially become a contrarian indicator where you have the bears overly bearish to where all of a sudden the bulls are going to start coming in and driving the price higher? Yeah. So, I mean, the perpetual swap funding is, is essentially just a way to keep the spot market and the, that futures contract market, because ultimately what decides the price of a perpetual futures contract? If I can get a hundred X margin, and I'm just the biggest whale in the room, well, I could just send Bitcoin to infinity, couldn't I? And, and the reality is that that premium is calculated, or that funding rate is calculated based on the premium or discount relative to the spot market price. So, so right now, essentially, what we've seen is that derivatives, like everyone got bearish, Bitcoin sold off. And then the past weeks, the spot market has rallied more than derivative traders have positioned themselves for, right? They're, they're relatively positioned to the downside relative to the spot price. So that funding rate is negative. So shorts pay longs. Um, and oftentimes there's, it's, it's the opposite. Uh, and, and actually when it's right in the middle, there's like, meaning the, the spot price is exactly, exactly uh, the, that contract price, the, then longs pay shorts. Essentially you, you're paying like an interest rate on your money. And it's like, it's like 10% a year. So it's like moderately positive. So it's basically like, because what, what is a futures contract and like, what are you getting access to? You're getting access to, to margin. You're getting access to capital. So there's an interest rate and, and those interest rates are paid not to the exchange, but between traders. And so it just acts as a way to tether in terms of when we've seen it, we saw it really aggressively this summer, but like, honestly, it was that Binance USDT contract. It was the Binance traders margined with tether were aggressively shorting Bitcoin into the ground. Well, if you short Bitcoin with dollars, as with dollars as collateral and Bitcoin rallies, you're going to have a tough time. So that's what we saw. We also saw after the March COVID crash, derivatives were aggressively under the spot market for a long time because there was so, so many liquidations and everybody just got massacred. Um, so for a while, like you could have just gotten paid for months on end to just sit in a long Bitcoin contract following the March blow up. Um, and so like these sort of things, these dislocations, they don't arise much. Um, but if we see even more bearish price action, I think traders probably get even more offsides. And that's when, you know, that's when it's really attractive to, to have access to some of these products that we don't have any access to in the U.S., which is a bummer. <laughs> Sam, you want to jump in? 
I can add a little bit more to that. Dylan uh, is a killer when it comes to talking derivatives markets and what's going on, especially in the perps funding market. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a chart that we've put out a few different times, got some variations in the monthly, uh, just a nice color-coded chart on price to show you those extreme dislocations, probably about four events over the last two years where either the market was too levered long or too levered short. Um, and right now in that type of neutral state, uh, it's very rare, might need to see in terms of, you know, more capitulation, more selling for, you know, a lot of more shorts to start stacking up in terms of sentiment with market. You know, usually those short positions really stack up when market sentiment, you know, is at, at all time low. So, um, you know, we're, we're watching that, seeing a little bit build up, but not near as the levels that we saw either in the summer of 2021 uh, or in, uh, in the COVID crash of March 2020. For anyone interested, I just I just pinned it to the top of uh, my my page, so uh, it's a link to the deep dive, but as well as kind of that that graphic that we're talking about, that perps funding rate. Just take a look at my Twitter account; it's at the top. Uh, that's what we're talking about, and you see often like you if you look at that funding rate after huge price spikes or huge price dumps, liquidation events like May nineteenth, Bitcoin was down like twenty something percent in an hour at one point. What was happening? It was a mass liquidation event, and what did funding do? It was like it had its biggest negative print in a long, long time since like the COVID crash. Well, why? Well, because the derivative market, the perpetual swap market was that far deep under the spot price, right? Because Bitcoin doesn't have a price. It has local exchange prices all over the world. And, and they tend to be extremely close to each other because there's financial arbitrage opportunities. But when these huge, huge blowups happen and like everybody on a certain exchange just gets absolutely their face ripped off. There's like, you know, dislocations, arbitrages that exist that, you know, uh, can be pretty attractive over the short term. Like, for instance, sometimes when there's liquidation events, you can buy Bitcoin three months into the future. Like, I, you know, for example, if there's like a July futures contract of Bitcoin and there's a Bitcoin drops to 30K, well, that futures contract could trade at 28,000. Like, it could be below the spot, which doesn't make sense, but it's just because there was a huge blow up. On, on a certain contract or exchange or, or whatnot. Um, so, you know, that's just an example, but that's why you see these things happen. Um, what's happening is there's either in derivatives, there's four sellers or four buyers. Um, and it's because there's there's all margin trading and and these certain dislocations can occur. So that's that's what we like to cover in the deep dive is like why these things happen and, and what they mean, because uh, we, we understand there's some complexity to it. I definitely want to make sure everyone takes a moment to go and look at Dylan's post because I mean, the amount of knowledge that these guys drop, the amount of work they do on all their deep dive posts, like my hat goes off to you guys and thank you guys for all of that. Cause I learn a ton. So it makes a difference to one person. So, so thank you for that. Um, I want to present a question from our YouTube audience. Those who are tuned in on Twitter spaces, feel free to pop over. Feel free to uh, populate questions in that comment. And we will ask, uh, Dylan, Sam, we've talked about this in the past, but can you maybe talk a little bit about this correlation between Bitcoin and the equities market and maybe some catalysts for ending that correlation or how long do you guys foresee that continuing with the Fed, Fed rate hikes as well as scaling back asset purchases? Yeah, I can start and share some thoughts. I think probably where it it started to get kind of to its highs uh, and come back in was like post March 2020 pandemic, you know, crisis crunch, right? And then you know everything trades in tandem then, and Bitcoin and the SBA like spy trade fairly close from there on out. Um, I think in the matter of it, it's still it's a trillion dollar asset, and you have to although as a Bitcoin accumulator, someone's working around Bitcoin. I think of it as a risk-off asset. I treat it that way. I'm looking long-term that way. Um, but I think the institutional capital that's coming in the market now, it's more of a risk-on speculation type asset for a lot of people. And it's going to act that way until I think you have way more institutional flows come in. As a, Let's say it's a trillion today. Maybe the point is four or five trillion where it really starts behaving like its own asset class. So I think there's like a fundamental nature there that it just has to grow. And you have to see more papers like you saw from Fidelity Research come out and, and go into hands and start thinking about the asset in a different way and, and how people allocate to it. Um, in terms of catalyst, I mean, I think the, the main one that everyone is, is trying to understand is the Fed 
pushes out their tightening policy cycle as they you know try to commit to doing that will there be some type of reversal in monetary policy tightening that you saw in like 2018 um, and liquidity has to come back to the markets i think that's the biggest one uh, a lot more rumors about you know nation states coming into the market i think there just needs to be more kind of staple whether it's inter institutional flows or nations taking on Bitcoin at large scale to just start differentiating to the market that this is something completely different um, than maybe just risk on speculation, you know, one to 2% in your portfolio. Yeah, no, uh, I wanted to jump in on like Bitcoin's place as an asset. I think, uh, Sam, you are 100% correct. And I've had a lot of conversations with the great Bitcoin Tina on, on this exact topic. And he really correctly pointed out in late 2019, early 2020, that Bitcoin was going from an illegitimate asset in the eyes of asset allocators to a legitimate asset. But again, Sam, I think you're completely correct. Bitcoiners, we treat Bitcoin as a risk off asset. We think 21 million is like the ultimate conservative play, but all of these capital allocators treat it as actually a hyper risk on asset. So I think where Bitcoin lives in terms of the minds of most people is not, you know, illegitimate, but it's not conservative. It's somewhere in between a conservative or sorry, a legitimate risk on asset. That's where Bitcoin lives right now. Bitcoin is in that legitimate territory where people will actually allocate to it. Serious businesses are starting to tether their name to it. But it, for the minds of most people, the mind of most capital allocators, it's still a risk on thing, even though Bitcoiners don't see it that way. Does that like make sense? Yeah, well said, Sika. I guess what to think about is like what happens, right? So like we had the March 2020 unwind uh, and, we, you know, the Fed's going to try to taper. We know that we're all saying it's going to blow up. Like there's a pretty good chance that like, it doesn't blow up right away. <laughs> I mean, like maybe they get 12 months of, somewhat normalization like there is a lot of liquidity in that reverse repo if you see like the reverse repo facility there's a hundred or there's 1.5 trillion dollars sitting in that like basically it's wall street capital that they didn't like bank reserves they didn't know what to do with and so instead of basically buying short at short-term debt because with 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 the way that debt works the way that bonds work or like treasury bills treasury notes treasury bonds long duration assets say the 30 year treasury is it's called it has duration risk essentially if there's a high inflation print uh, or just yields rise there's the principal value of that bond gets absolutely decimated so so a lot of money doesn't want to take on duration risk and you can't go put a trillion dollars in a bank account um well i mean i guess it's technically bank reserves but uh they don't want that that duration risk so you know they want to get some yield on that money and so instead of buying treasury treasury bills or treasury notes, like the short end of the curve, um, because there's not a, a large supply of those, it would send the, the actual yields on those notes nominally negative, meaning that like it would have a negative yield. So the Fed spun up this reverse repo facility and is basically paying, I think, 25 basis points or, or like five, five basis points on, on like all of this capital. Long story short, what that means is like, there's still a kind of a good chunk of cash, actually a huge chunk of cash that's just sitting on the sides and doesn't know what to do. Because here's the thing is that the Fed bought all this debt and handed the banks cash. And then the inflation went to 7% <laughs> and, and yields were like tied in and banks said, I don't know what to do with this. I don't want to, I don't want to buy mortgages. I don't want to go out on the risk curve any further. And so like the Fed could probably taper or raise yields 50 basis points or hundred basis points without everything like totally blowing up. Yeah. We're seeing like ARK and like some, some garbage tech and, and Bitcoin actually sell off uh, right now. But the reality is what happens when that all unwinds again, because it will with the way our system works, 400% debt to GDP, 120% federal debt to GDP, we're in a debt spiral and it, we can't get out of it. So how long that clock ticks, who knows uh, should, but just when, when it all unwinds and they have to respond again, how much Bitcoin is out there actually for sale? And, uh, you know, I, hopefully you have an allocation already. Y'all, uh, I think fantastic analysis still. And I feel, I feel like, you know, a lot of times you hit on a lot of this, the same themes and really 
that's just what it is for long-term thinkers in Bitcoin. It's just about, you know, this thing is going to go up more in the future. And it's just about accumulating when you have the opportunity. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the Bitcoin conference. Y'all, we're working really hard to put together the ultimate Bitcoin event. Uh, four days of insane Bitcoining together in Miami. I think the line that I've been using is like, nothing makes Bitcoin real to the world more than 30,000 people coming together and like showing the world, you know, that one, we're not afraid to gather and two, this many people care about Bitcoin and just Bitcoin to come together and celebrate. And it is going to be a celebration. So uh, I'm really hyped. It's going to be four days of Bitcoining. The final day is a motherfucking music festival. There's going to be comedians. There's going to be a art museum and gallery all four days. And there's just going to be tons of Bitcoiners doing Bitcoin things. So you're going to want to go YTMAG is the best promo code. That's 10% off YTMAG. So use that promo code and get your tickets at b.tc forward slash conference. See Dylan, CQ, see Sam, see myself, see Alex and the rest of the crew all at Bitcoin 22. Um, I also want to show YouTube. If you are on Spaces, go to YouTube, click on the link. I think it's the... The third, it's the fourth, it's, sorry, it is the second uh, uh, pinned tweet inside of the Nest. Uh, go click on the YouTube link, check it out there. We're going to have charts right now, and we are still giving away Bitcoin on YouTube, and I guess maybe on Twitch. I don't want to leave out the Twitch people, too. We have Twitch uh, twitch.tv forward slash Bitcoin, uh, but yeah, YouTube is the place to be. And uh, I mean, Dylan and Sam, do you want to tease a little bit of some of the things inside the monthly report? I know the January report is about to drop and we haven't even talked about that yet. And we've been going uh, for about half an hour. Yeah, sure. I mean, we've been we've been sharing some of the main ideas, uh, but I, we can we can probably share the, the, the charts. Yeah, just kind of give some context to what we're actually what we're actually talking about this while, we wait, while we wait for uh, technology to catch up to the speed of Dylan's mind. Trust me. I know, I know the struggle, my friend talk, talk to us a little bit about some of these regulations that are coming out and being announced and what effect, if any, have they had on Bitcoin price? For example, when all this news started buzzing around Arizona, did you guys notice anything out of the ordinary with regards to Bitcoin and anything on chain? Let's direct this to Sam. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, there's probably some, if you dig down into like the small price charts, you know, minute, five minute, hour candles, you can probably see some movements in terms of maybe algorithm trading, buying, stuff like that. But I find it like pretty just consistent right now with what a lot of states have been doing or trying to do, find ways to promote Bitcoin policy. So for me, it, it I kind of see it as maybe more of a, like a, market like normal event kind of taking place maybe not something that's like newly priced in that's fully going to change i think most people are probably still waiting on some kind of federal regulation policy um, if that ever is going to come to separate what bitcoin is from other cryptocurrencies crypto assets so nothing in the price that i saw jump off obviously it's incredibly bullish long term to see states start to take actions kind of before the federal government on a lot of these policies and regulations that, that they put out. Usually any like kind of <laughs> news related price action, whether it's like, you know, uh, some, some company that like fake bought Bitcoin for the treasury and it was just someone trolling on Twitter, right? Like, and you see Bitcoin pump like 3%, it's like all derivatives. And like, so usually like the, the net uh, kind of like actually like, you know, the net result is you usually see like a bark candle <laughs> or like we were watching like one minute charts with Jerome Powell speaking, but it was like all, all the volume, all the actual like size was just being, was margin. It was, it was perp traders, derivative traders. So like really the spot demand, like if you remember like Michael Saylor announcing he was, he was going to buy a billion dollars, a billion and a half, or like the first real big debt race he did, or they announced that you were going to buy 500 million more in like a week. And Bitcoin is at like 11K and then it dumped to 9K. And everyone was like, what is going on? Like all these, all these buyers are expecting a billion dollars to come into this market. That's like, you know, not, it's like 250 billion and the price dumps. What, what is going on? It's like the market not efficient. And the reality was like a bunch of derivative traders were just like over leveraged on the news that Sailor was buying and some smart whales came in, sold and got them liquidated and got cheap coins. So like, you know, news dependent 
uh, price moves really aren't all that, all that telling. And more so it's just kind of like those underlying like stackers that are relentlessly stacking every day, you know, the long-term holders, uh, you know, supply last locked up one year, two years, whatever, uh, the stuff we can actually see on chain, like, yeah, that, that's what really moves the price over the long term. Um, and, and that's what matters, you know, more so than like derivatives. So Dylan, you're sharing a, uh, a couple of charts here on YouTube. Um, you want to walk us through what we're looking at? Sure. Yeah. This is just uh, so for percent supply. It's last active one year, five years ago. Uh, this isn't, uh, it's just more of a cool kind of chart to see. Uh, we see with the one year, it's much more like cycle driven, uh, where we can see this accumulation take place currently 59.5% of Bitcoin haven't moved in a year or plus a year longer. Um, but that's just kind of one of the things we don't really put too much signal into that. Uh, here, I guess I'm looking at the GBTC premium discount right now. Uh, right now at minus 25%, uh, touch almost like minus 30, I think last week. Uh, but this is like, we, we've re-emphasized this in the deep dive a couple of times that this discount with 650,000 Bitcoin, or I think like 640,000 something locked in the trust, uh, traded on OTC markets that aren't very liquid, but a lot of the say like macro allocators or pension funds or any kind of person, especially in the US, any any entity that's really has interest in big Bitcoin exposure at the moment, uh, probably has the optionality to to buy grayscale Bitcoin trusts, as well as go to a Coinbase or go to wherever they would receive spot exposure. And so when the discount's at 26%, and it's like, you know, not too liquid in the sense that like, you know, it's trading 24-7, 365, and it's trading OTC. So it's hard to get your hands on a lot of them. But like, it's at, at once, unless you're like with a certified broker, but like you can get exposure, you know? And so with this discount at 25%, it's siphoning away spot demand for the moment. And that's fine. I think one of the things you'll want to see as Bitcoin, you know, the, the bull market develops or uh, you know, the next one forms is this discount closing into that net asset value a little more. And maybe that spot ETF is a catalyst. So here's the total 643,000 Bitcoin held by Grayscale. Here's one we like to look at. Uh, this is that the cost basis ratio of long-term and short-term holders. So uh, why does Bitcoin go up? Uh, it goes up on the marginal seller being becoming exhausted. So if we look at the cost basis ratio, short-term and long-term holders, we can really see this the bull and bear markets like almost perfectly. Uh, when that when short-term holder cost basis is increasing uh, relative to long-term holder cost basis, what it's saying is that long-term holders have cornered the market. And new capital has is that's interested in entering the market for whatever reason, whether it's you know cypherpunks in 2012 or drug dealers or retail that's interested in 2016 or institutional capital and Michael Saylor in 2020. They're if they're interested in coming into the market, uh, we're going to be able to see those UTXOs if they buy any being transferred. And so when that short-term holder cost basis is really bidding up aggressively, it's just we we can we know that's because. They're competitively trying to acquire a fixed amount of coins. And like that free flow is pretty damn small. Um, but when, when that ratio is going the other way, when short-term holder cost basis is decreasing, when the market's under basically underwater, that new money, we see like capitulation losses and that long-term holder accumulation. So with this metric, with this ratio, uh, which if you look maps almost like tops and bottoms uh, throughout its history, like very, very well, uh, local tops that is, um, it's, beca it's because of this kind of dynamic of accumulation and distribution. We can see these capital inflows uh, on chain. And so right now, a lot of, lot of losses. Um, basically, the entire last year of capital is underwater. Um, so we're seeing kind of a re-accumulation. Re, uh, uh, and, and some of those losses are being realized. We can see you know, coins that last moved in April are moving today, um, for instance. That's just one example. And so that's kind of one of the cool things we can see with on-chain. And right now we're in the midst of a, of a reaccumulation. So uh, if you're accumulating right now, uh, you'll, any of your future long-term holder, consider yourself uh, the smart money. <laughs> uh, Sam, any others we should show? Which ones yeah, do you like? Yeah, I mean, with that, we can just go over the long-term holder kind of accumulation. Um, I think we've got the color-coded chart in here based on a 30-day percent change. Um, but yeah, I kind of don't mention, we've touched on before, right? There's these periods through Bitcoin's price history where you know long-term holders versus short-term holders are accumulating or distributing 
uh, distributing Bitcoin. And right now, over the last month, we've entered into what looks like kind of a trend forming period of long-term holders accumulate. So we just look at the supply that is in long-term holders, or is that kind of is moving, getting past this five to six month range of not moving to become long-term holder supply. Uh, starting to see that increase quite a bit. And kind of when that happens around price, you know, price can consolidate, it can range, um, it can even hit, you know, more downside based on, uh, you know, this accumulation happening. It doesn't necessarily say where, you know, maybe price is heading next in the start of this trend, but it shows you when people that are long-term convicted about Bitcoin are, are really adding. Um, and so now, you know, got the bottom chart here where you just show that 30 day percent change. Um, and so that's, that's been climbing up, which um, is honestly, when you look at it, it's a behavior that's happened time and time again in Bitcoin's history. Long-term holders just accumulate Bitcoin at good prices and smart money moves in. And it's no different even within this macroeconomic uncertainty. Uh, previously, we did see kind of long-term holders distribute or sell into kind of this falling price. You can see that in like November, October, December, um, so that was kind of an oddity, very much seems to be related to macro selling, but that's kind of, uh, you know, fallen off and, and things are changing. Um, we don't have it in here as well, but we put in a deep dive that we had last week. What's interesting, not only are, you know, we're seeing long-term holders accumulate, but at a high aggregate market level, you know, we don't like to be too granular with this because some on chain, you have to take a high level view especially when you're estimating what whales are doing. So when we look at whales versus retail groups, whales over the last two weeks have been net adding to their supply. So there's a lot of different ways to define it. We kind of outlay it in one of our recent deep dives, but that's a good indication that, you know, when you, we, we're seeing price draw down at the levels that we've seen. So we can look at it at like a 30 day percent change in price, or we can look at it as like a major drawdown from like cycle top, cycle low, uh, whatever you want it it's a good risk reward trade-off in terms of where prices today so when like you have this huge explosive move and 30-day change in price going down like over 15 percent it doesn't always mark a bottom but it does mark good times for investors out there to say when are you going to accumulate bitcoin well you don't want to do it at that 50 60k range if you think that's the high but when price has these explosive moves to the downside uh, it looks like the time to to accumulate. And that's what we see with whales doing over the last two weeks. And, uh, you know, we'll have to see how these accumulation patterns play out. Take it with a grain of salt because it's estimating kind of individuals and institutions with large balances. It's estimating entities around different addresses. So I like to take a more aggregate view, but uh, usually this is a pretty positive sign when you start to see more whale accumulation moving in here. And so some of this could easily have been micro strategy buying in, obviously over the last two weeks is what we saw of that. So, um, and then you see some other buys, you see, you know, purpose Bitcoin ETF out of Canada, adding a lot yesterday had some of its biggest inflows. So some of those events kind of just help us confirm when this accumulation is happening, but it's a good thing to, to keep an eye on. I think that the most aggressive moves when you're like looking at just the recent five-year history of Bitcoin has been when you see these huge accumulation patterns take place over not, not like days or weeks, but months, quarters on end with, you know, price drawdowns, consolidation periods. And you see basically any, anybody that's been in the market, that's been a bear. So for anyone that's been in a bear for the last two months, trading derivatives, whales, trading spot, whatever. Um, and have been, they've been rewarded. Right, so like they they've got a lot of capital and they just have a huge bias. Um, maybe they got lucky, maybe they're good, but uh, usually uh, they try to take it a, like too far. And you see same time that this like long term holder accumulation is very strong for months on end. Maybe price starts to trend upwards a little bit. Uh, that seller's becoming exhausted. Derivatives fade the rally, and so if like you look at the March 2019 that like 3k bottom, then we popped popped like 20% in a day to like four and a half thousand. And everyone was like, it was crazy. Why did that happen? Well, derivatives faded the rally for the, the entire way down from 20K to 3K. And they, they continued to fade as price ground up. And because that accumulation was happening under the surface. And so like these risk reward moves that, that are that, you know, these opportunities uh, don't arise too often. Um, but, you know, if, and when they do, we like to cover it and maybe, you know, present it to our subscribers. Dylan Derivative Leclerc. Very good, man. I love your analysis here. I want to uh, make a shout out to everyone listening on Spaces. If you want to see a chart with the analysis, go to YouTube. I think it's the second uh, pinned tweet up there is the YouTube link. 
We're simulcasting this both on YouTube and on Spaces, and we are sharing all of these charts on YouTube. What next, y'all? Yeah, I mean, we can share. We were talking a lot about the macro environment early, and here's some good charts, right? So here's uh, the Fed funds rate, CPI, and we in, in green uh, is like the transparent green colors when real real yields are positive, and reds when real yields are negative. And so we've seen since like really 2000, but more so just entirely after the 2008 financial crisis, real yields have been negative, uh, and and now they're as deep negative as they've really ever been. Uh, I think we had the 40s data set in here. We'd have uh, similar levels, but we it, the the Fred database only went to like 1955. But pretty crazy chart. And like when you think about the opportunity Bitcoin has, it's because there's a few hundred trillion dollars of assets out there valued on these costs of capital, on on the assumption that you should lend money to to someone at two percent. Uh, and that's a prudent move when you're going to basically, when your purchasing power is going to devalue by 7% a year, or if it's 5% or whatever it is, you're guaranteed to lose money in a fixed income contract. Uh, and the equities priced on these costs of capital is, is are also, which makes, you know, it's why every equity in the world's overvalued, calculated on a Bitcoin standard. That's like, that's honestly the long view here. But when Bitcoin's selling off in tandem with everything else, it doesn't really, it doesn't feel like that, uh, that's what's playing out, uh, but that's the that's the information asymmetry <laughs> that we have. Yeah, and what's interesting about that rates chart too. I mean, even if you have CPI here at seven point one percent, whether it's peaked or if it peaks in a couple months, and through the years you start, you know, through this year, next year you start seeing it go down to three to five percent, kind of a little bit of a mean reversion potentially. It's still much higher than even a potential rate hike of. 50 to 100 bips, 150 bips. So you're still going to have this big divergence between the, the CPI and, uh, you know, the kind of Fed funds effective rate. And I, I this has been shared a lot. Uh, Dylan's got it in here in the in the piece in the monthly. It's also in a in a BlackRock paper from 2019, just how to deal with different, you know, um, debt crises. But an IMF paper from 2011, just talking about you know, the exact game plan for financial repression. What do you do with large, you know, government debt levels, this huge, um, you know, having these negative real yield rates, keeping inflation high, keeping rates as low as possible is the best way to kind of push that debt to GDP ratio down and service that. So, you know, we hit on that kind of framework in our long-term thesis quite a bit, it goes back to, you know, what is the playbook now um, over the last 10 years, over the next, you know, over the next 10 years, to do when we have the macroeconomic situation like we do. And so trying to follow this quite a bit and keep an eye on it because it seems exactly how these playbooks have gone, whether you're looking at, you know, IMF papers, Black Rocks, conversations from economists over the last 15 years, it's it's uh, it's definitely the the number one solution in servicing the debt. It's either that option or a nominal default or the, you know, <laughs> the US defaults on its debt. So it's going to be option one. Uh, and the, the reality is how do you position yourself? And like most people listening here probably know how to position themselves, at least have a little bit of Bitcoin, but like, you know, we're doing all this stuff and doing all this writing. And, uh, you know, some people reach out to us and they didn't know this stuff beforehand. And there's, you know, trillions of dollars of assets allocated by people that don't understand this dynamic and understand that it's like not, uh, emotional thing it's not like a want to have happen thing it's a mathematical thing <laughs> uh which is why you know bitcoin is is important i want to very quickly just shout out this has been super helpful you guys have really dove into some of these charts uh and i know that your monthly report is going to have countless others that we're not going to be able to touch on uh on this video segment so for those of you that I've been watching this and it's now piqued your curiosity. I highly recommend you go subscribe. There's a free version of the deep dive. Start there. Once you start there, you're never going to want to stop reading what these guys write. So be sure to check it out, subscribe uh, and check out uh, this upcoming monthly report. I believe it's going to come out later today, tomorrow, later today. So make sure you sign up quick. Otherwise you're going to miss January's monthly report very quickly. Um, I do want to, if you can go back one to the last image you shared with us. I kind of, I'm a little curious about the the GDP that is very slow. How, I mean, other than the fact that they just lie to us, but how for so long has this divergence been allowed to continue? And what is the, what, 
what sort of, as we see the divergence really start once we go off the gold standard in the early 70s, what in these periods of the 90s and before the 2008 crisis, why, what was sort of the dialogue said about the acceptance of this and why did we accept that? If you guys can answer that. Yeah, so, so we're showing uh, U.S. nominal GDP and then uh, total debt securities and loans. So it's not federal debt, but just aggregate debt. And it's an imperfect measure. Honestly, it's probably wrong, but it's the best statistics they've got. And, you know, essentially it's a calculation of U.S. debt to GDP. Yeah, there's foreign capital, but it's it's the best we can do. And, and honestly, it's, it's pretty informative in its own right. So, you know, this is in linear scale. So it looks like they're just continuing to, to widen. Uh, it would probably look a little bit different in, in log scale, but regardless, that total debt to GDP has gone from like 175% in 1971, uh, which was where we chose to start it, to, to uh, 406%. And so like, I think the debt load is 50X and the GDP productivity in fiat nominal terms is 20X. So the marginal productivity of debt is declining. The, the basically the marginal revenue, like for, you know, each unit of debt we buy, and this has been going on for decades, we buy a little bit less unit of productivity. And, and the solution to that, the Keynesian economic solution to that has been, okay, more stimulus, lower rates, more debt. Your, your, your debt isn't as productive. Okay, here's some more debt for you. We'll lower the cost of capital. We'll inject money to financial markets. We'll hand out stimulus. Uh, but all dollars, all money is credit money. It's, a, it's more debt that needs to be paid back plus interest. So now we're in a situation where like we're in a debt spiral and there's, there's no realistic way out. And so you know every big brain central banker and politician who says all these fancy words, is their solution is long story short, we're going to print more money. And do different things with it <laughs> or fund it. You know, we're going to give more debt to a debt problem. That's the only solution here. Previously dealt with 40s, there, they, there was a period of financial repression. And they, you know, before that, like they, they confiscated gold from their citizens. But now we don't really need, we don't need gold uh, and we don't need to ask for permission because Bitcoin's just this open network to escape the financial repression. So uh, the only way to deal with the debt crisis, you know, with these huge debt levels is to erode the debt in real terms. And you do that by you know, a, a, a wealth transfer from creditors to debtors. Um, but really it's a wealth transfer from creditors uh, to people that hold Bitcoin, I think, over the, the coming decade. I wanna present a question that, that got asked in our YouTube chat. Um, but what if, for example, some sort of event such as Russia invading Ukraine or China invading Taiwan, uh, the latter of which I think has a larger effect on anything to do with computers, microchips, uh, but what effect could those type of events have on Bitcoin in general? Yeah, I can jump in and don't add anything you want. I, the only reason I want to jump in is because recently uh, GBTC Grayscale put out a good research report and they kind of had this exact chart. It was a geopolitical index risk versus Bitcoin price. And basically, you know, an index to measure those exact type of things and when they spike. And what happened is like in these times of chaos, and it's a short time frame, maybe over the last three or four years, but you see Bitcoin kind of spike with that. So that's like a, maybe a short-term view of it, that in these kind of geopolitical risk rising, like kind of, and maybe that's how I think of Bitcoin too, is maybe like as a chaos hedge of a type of asset, at least from my point of view, but I'm not in the, like, if we're talking about like Russia, Ukraine, not an active person there, can't speak to like what I would look for in terms of uh, in Bitcoin or something else to like hedge those. But those are, that's, that's my two cents quick on it. Yeah. I don't think I have anything informative to add about geopolitics. <laughs> no, I appreciate you guys entertaining the question. Thank you. We've been rolling for about an hour here. Um, is there, are there any other charts that we really want to hit on before we wrap it up? Uh, no, I think, I think we covered a lot. Uh, you know, I guess uh, you'll have to catch in the report we release uh, in a little bit here. Yeah, I don't know if you uh, want to stop sharing your screen then, but I guess just to close it out, maybe Dylan and Sam, y'all can give one last informative blurb about the deep dive, uh, the monthly report that's coming out later today and everything that y'all doing. Yeah, take it, take it away, Sam. <laughs> All right, sure, yeah. Uh, last thing on the deep dive, we cover on-chain derivatives, macro, Bitcoin mining, anything Bitcoin related to the markets, me and Dylan covering as much as we can. 
day in and day out. We've done a lot of work to make this monthly a much better product, much better value for people reading it. It's coming out to paid subs today. If you're a paid subscriber, I will release it to free subscribers next week. So at least join the free tier if you haven't. But yeah, I mean, what we're trying to do is take all these pieces around the Bitcoin market, explain them, not trading signals, but help people give context of what's going on um, and a lot of great charts, visualizations and pieces of information you can take with you. All right. Thank you all. Uh, everyone who joined either on YouTube or on Twitch or on Twitter spaces, uh, hope this was really informative. We are sharing some really, really awesome charts. And honestly, when Bitcoin's price is volatile, that's when it really helps to kind of look at all that is happening and understand. You know, for me, it's all it's always about just stacking every single day or every single week or every single month. Uh, Bitcoin is just that bullish long term, but it helps to know, it helps to understand. And uh, I, I feel really good about getting the deep dive every single day, you know, staying on top of that. So thanks to everyone who, uh, who tuned in. And yeah, we'll uh, pass it off to the YouTube boys for their next segment. Alrighty. Well, thank you again to Dylan and Sam for having joined us. Thank you all for letting me host my first ever show. This was a lot of fun. Yep. 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 Yep.